Nate, you've been doing ministry for quite a while. I know you've had really big ministry days in the past. So, you know, you, you've done stuff in the morning and the evenings. It's, it's a lot, long days sometimes. How do you get through the really long days of ministries? Do you have any tricks or tactics, any tools? Oh, well, I mean, the right answer is uh, prayer. Of course. And of course. leaning on the Holy Spirit. That's right. That's right. And definitely, I'm doing all that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've definitely got some tactics. I'm a napper. Of course, uh, which we've talked about before. So I can take a 10 minute nap and feel very refreshed. And so with a cup of coffee right before a nap. So the long day you're referring to is our most recent Sunday. (laughs) So that would have been, uh, you know, in the afternoon, drink a big cup of coffee, of course, take a nap, wake up, hit an hour of study session, do some planning and then come in to teach. So um, coffee, napping. Uh, just pacing yourself. Yeah. You know, honestly, like knowing you got a full day, you got to eat, you got to sit down totally. sometimes, you know, sometimes when you're up there doing your thing on the third service, you know, I'll just like sit down in a chair, rest your voice a little bit. Just, yeah. Don't sing. Just kind of soak in the moment, you know, <laughs> just think for a second, yeah. you know, or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it can, it could be tiring, but man, just good stuff. I, I just got done doing a little, um, devotional for a pastoral group that I'm in and I was just sharing with them, man, I just had such a fun time yesterday, you know, God's hmm. doing such great things, but yeah, we're recording on a Monday and you know, there's a little bit of that pick yourself up off the mat on Monday, you know, oh, we're totally. not victims or anything, but it's just, yeah, you throw yourself out <laughs> there, you get tired. Totally. I love it. I wish I could tap into the, into the nap thing. I just, I can't do it yet. It's a little risky. One time I got to lead worship for a overnight prayer session, like a 24 hour prayer thing. Right. And I took a nap before I sang and it was all bad. Like I was just so groggy and I was like, I'm just never going to do this again. But I'm a dad now. So I feel like maybe there's some grace there, like some fresh grace from yeah. the Lord to take a nap. So I understand what yeah. you're talking about. Back in the day, I used to take like a, real hardcore nap on Sunday afternoons. And then yeah. I'd come in for the Sunday evening service. And I don't know what I would talk about during those times. You know, I'm sure there were some pretty adventurous sermons cause I was not all there yet. <laughs> but the 10 minute still nap, waking up. Yeah. That I can handle that. I've not gone into the deep rim cycle. <laughs> it's so great. Well, dude, I loved um, this message from yesterday, Habakkuk chapter two, I always love these chapters in scripture where a majority of what we're reading is God's word to somebody, you know, and Habakkuk too. I mean, God's just talking like the whole time. It's so great. So it was so fun just to hear God's promises to Habakkuk, um, the judgment that he was going to bring on evil, the promise for the future. I mean, what a full story this whole chapter was. It was pretty amazing. Um, I wanted to ask you about this promise that, God gave to Habakkuk Mm -hmm. and a little bit about the timeline of it. It's so interesting. You know, God talks about how he wants to judge the wicked, but he doesn't really say when Mm -hmm. it just kind of implied, like it's going to happen. Um, but Habakkuk, you don't really know when it's going to happen. And I was just curious if you had any insights about God's timing a little bit. I I was just thinking last night, I was like, why didn't God just do it then? You know, Mm -hmm. like, why did he, have an un, I don't know, an unended timeline to it. Why would he wait? 
Right. Yeah. Well, a lot of times we don't have any clue as to the answer to that question with our individual things. Like, why is God waiting for this or that? And why would he judge later rather than now? Part of the answer to the question in Habakkuk's case is that, of course, God had already said, I'm going to use the Babylonians to discipline you guys. So he couldn't judge them the Babylonians before the Babylonians did what they needed to do to Israel. Uh, The timeline with Habakkuk is murky. We don't know Mm. precisely when he came around. I mean, I've tried to pin him to the post um, Josiah revivals after Josiah's death and the atrophy that was in the nation at that time. But it's just, there's no, like in many of the prophets, a time marker, you know, where it's, you know, Isaiah who prophesied during these kings, you know, that you don't have that with Habakkuk. All you can really say is it's before Babylon destroyed Judah and Mm. Jerusalem. So the reason why God waited then for in, in his case is because, well, he had plans for what he wanted to use Babylon for first. Uh, and then, you know, had a period uh, the other prophets tell us of 70 years, at least of captivity for Israel in Babylon. So, you know, Babylon had to survive during all of that in order to be the captors mm. of God's captives, right. the people of Israel. But, you know, this is one of the things that I think is, it's part of why in my message, I was really trying to convey or communicate the idea of trusting in God's slow moving justice and waiting. I mean, the time marker that God gives in Habakkuk two, uh, verse two, or excuse me, verse three is the vision awaits its appointed time. So Habakkuk doesn't know when that is. It hastens to the end. It won't lie. It seems slow. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So some Mm. clues there would be that it seems slow. So it seems like it's taking a long time to us. Yeah. But it's like God is giving us a glimpse into how he feels about it. It doesn't really feel slow to him. Mm. Um, I mean, part of it could be found in, just as I'm thinking about this right now, part of this could be found in the way that God was disciplining Israel. Like I've said previously, he sent them into captivity for 70 years because of 490 years of disobedience. Right. So that seems really slow. Yeah. But, you know, God's timelines are not our timelines. So he just, I think for him to execute judgment, it's got to be very, very ripe. So hmm. why does it take wow. so long? I think it's the kindness of God. It's the kindness of God wow. that leads man to repentance. He's waiting he's giving every opportunity he is allowing people to come into the kingdom that wouldn't otherwise come into the kingdom i mean there's lots of people in our church right now who before you were born were asking jesus to come totally and had he come you wouldn't have even been born you'd not be in the forever kingdom of god Mm -hmm. so in a sense you are happy that god did not answer their prayers for expedited justice and for christ to return So in a sense, you could say, yeah, probably the reason God was waiting is because of his grace and his Mm -hmm. kindness and what he's trying to do and delaying judgment until the last possible moment, until the appointed time, uh, which is the word that he uses there for Habakkuk. But on the other hand, we just really don't know. We don't know why God waits. We don't know why God delays. But 
I think at the end, when it all goes down, we will be pleasantly surprised by the perfection of the moment. You know, when Christ came in his first coming, there was that feeling of why is this taking so long? Why has the Messiah not appeared? Why is the son of David not yet arrived? Now we look back on it and we say that was the perfect time. It was a perfect time. Rome was in power. The gospel would be able to spread throughout the whole world because of the Roman system, way of life and road infrastructure. Uh, that was the right moment for the Messiah to come. And I think we'll have the same sense, you know, when Christ returns that. and that judgment is executed and all wrongs are made right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so good. I wanted to ask you about um, idolatry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> towards the end of the chapter, God talks about the idolatry of his people and talks about how they're making images that couldn't speak the whole thing. You know, we talk about idolatry nowadays. And I think it might be hard for some of us to understand how idolatry might touch our lives today because a lot of us aren't making necessarily um, an image like God's people were. Mm. But idolatry is definitely a thing that we wrestle with as Christians. I wanted to see if you might be able to help us understand how idolatry takes place in our hearts. Like, How do we know that we're making an idol right. out of something? Yeah, so there's, I mean, when I was growing up, there were the really maybe even overly simplistic ways of talking about idolatry, you know? So like you, the preacher would make a comment from in the pulpit, like, uh, you know, we don't have or build little statues that we worship. Right. Instead, we wash and polish our idols in our driveway or, you know, something like that is <laughs> like a statement yeah. meant to shock to go, Oh yeah. Our cars are our idols or yeah. something like that. But it's probably a little more, complicated than that. I think yeah. what it is, is that the human heart is looking for meaning and significance yeah. from somewhere. And with the ancient idols, you know, the worshiper was attaching themselves to some kind of system that made them feel like they were connected to something bigger and higher that could give them meaning. And each of those idols wasn't just like a deity that meant nothing to them. Their idols were usually attached to something that they really valued. So mm -hmm. money or sex or power. And these are things that we still make idols of oh, yeah. today. We might not make little statues, you know, of them, but we're infatuated by them. We're drawn to them. So mm -hmm. we tend to pursue them still in our modern time. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, some, some will say, well, idolatry is taking a, a, a good thing and making it into a God thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you've heard that phrase yeah. before. So you're taking something like sex that God has designed and blessed and put in a certain environment you know, heterosexual covenantal marriage, uh, but that we take it and it's, we, we make a God out of it. Right. So it's, you know, however I want to express myself, I need to have full unlimited access to this. Mm. This gives me meaning. This yeah. defines me. This, uh, satisfies me. This brings me what I need to be human. I'm not human without this, you know, kind of thing. So we could do that with obviously money or 
success or power. So, uh, yeah, as much as we might look at the verses there, verse uh, 18 to 20 in Habakkuk 2, and feel like <laughs> I would never commit uh, the sin of idolatry, it's probably more common than we think. Yeah. Oh, man, totally. There is a, a portion of the sermon we were talking about uh, despair and hope. And I think you were talking about, you know, just the despair that Habakkuk was seeing, but God was talking about the hope that was going to be coming in the future. And you said this statement, you said that because of Jesus, despair is the fertile ground of hope. Mm-hmm. And I like, I felt like hit me right in the gut when you said that, because I think a lot of us, when we hear about despair, our natural tendency is to become depressed or anxious or mad or to act out. But with Jesus, there's just a different kind of response. Mm-hmm. So I was hoping that you could talk to us a little bit about that. Why is it with Jesus that we can actually have hope in the middle of something really tragic? Well, if you think about the woes that mm-hmm. they were singing about Babylon. Yeah. Everything that they saw Babylon doing was egregious. Babylon was ransacking towns and villages. They were slaughtering human beings. They were taking human beings to use as slaves to build their society. They were expanding at all costs. They were robbing and stealing. They were destroying even the environment God alludes to in this passage. As all these things were happening, that's despair. Yeah. If Jesus isn't around, if there's no gospel, if there's no hope of his reign here on earth or the new heavens and the new earth, if there's no hope of that, then despair is just despair. Right. Wow, it's sad that that's the way that it is, but what can we do about it? Mm-hmm. It's just the way that it is. There's no hope that that will be overturned. But in Christ, we have that hope. Mm-hmm. So that's what I, what I meant by despair is the, the fertile ground of hope. It's like, well, what is hope? Where does that come from? Like, if there's no despair, why would you be hoping for anything? You'd yeah. be realizing what mm-hmm. the dream is already. Yes. You'd have no hopes. But because of Christ, we can have that hope that the violence or rampant sensuality or abuse or oppression or thieving uh, that or idolatry that they saw in Babylon, there's hope it won't always be like that. It's kind of like we talked about, I think, at one point in our series on work, we talked about, you know, think about your work environment Will what you're doing be canceled by the second coming or improved by the second coming or fulfilled by the second coming? So if you're an artist who's creating good art, the second coming of Christ will enhance what you're doing. The Mm -hmm. art there will be better, more beautiful, you know, all of that. If you're doing something illegal or damaging to human beings, you know, you're, you're indebting people more and more, you know, here's another credit card or whatever that will be canceled at the second coming of Mm. Christ. And some of us are doing things that will be fulfilled, you know, law enforcement, for instance, like it's really good. It's important now, but we're not going to need it in that 
era, it will be fulfilled. So perhaps like thinking about that will help you understand like why despair leads to hope. You know, there's this sense of, okay, I'm, I have a confidence in what Christ's return is going to produce. And I just love these woes. You know, I, I I think that, um, we don't really sing these you know, right. um, and, and I don't, I, I know we don't literally sing them. I'm not aware of anybody who's put them to, you know, these English lyrics to yeah. musical accompaniment. But what I mean is like, I don't think that we really feel these all that often. Mm, yeah. And when I say we, what I mean is, you know, in a, in a developed, more comfortable society, a lot of times if, as Christians, we kind of want to like get past these passages as quickly as possible. Yeah. Uh, but the parts of the church that have been hurting or oppressed, they're, they're re- very comfortable with yeah. these songs and right. really helped by these songs. Like, for instance, I had in my mind, you know, like there's that crazy quandary of like, why did so many African-American slaves become Christians? Yeah. You know, they're hearing the gospel from even their own oppressors, mm-hmm. but they receive Jesus and their despair gave them hope. And they, they would sing songs like Habakkuk too, you know, mm-hmm. trusting that that day is coming. Wow. And I'm confident in that day. I'm not living in it right now. I'm not experiencing it right now, but I have that hope. Mm-hmm. And I just think that wow. perhaps for some of us, these are like new songs to sing. You know, they're, they haven't really been needed as much. They've yeah. not been our go-to kind of lyric but now as we're climbing more and more into a time where you know Christianity's frowned upon it's not you know thought highly of yeah um and just kind of edged out to the margins you know we need a uh, songs like this yes. you know and now so we're good. finding it in more like surprising environments you know like I read about these guys I'm a baseball fan you know I read the other day about uh, these guys for the Tampa Bay Rays and uh, their team there in Florida. They just recently had like a pride night. Mm. And so all the players were asked to put these little patches on their sleeves, you know, indicating like Mm. solidarity, you know, I'm an ally kind of thing. And I think there was a group of maybe six or seven Christian men, you know, who said like, we just can't do that. You know, no, we're not trying to be disrespectful or, you know, be shaming anybody, but you know, we're, we're Christians and we just can't kind of go along Mm -hmm. with this, but talk about like, you know, a position in the past where, you know, that's a powerful position that you're, you're a professional athlete, you're a professional baseball player. Now, even in those upper echelons of society, people are having to say, gosh, I gotta, I gotta sing those Habakkuk two songs. One day God's Mm. justice is gonna roll. It's gonna happen. You know, so I, I, I just love kind of getting that paradigm into our hearts a little bit because for it's cool because it gives us an outlet, you know, it gives us like a something to something to do. I mean, I don't think that I'm not trying to preach inactivity, you know, Mm. like there's nothing we can do. We just got to roll over and take it. But there are times where there doesn't feel like there's any 
thing that we can do and to cry out to God and say, I'm confident that God is doing these things and God mm -hmm. will judge is a real help. Oh, amen. Yeah. Such a comfort for mm -hmm. sure. Sorry. That was a real long answer. Uh, I love it. Now I wanted to ask you a bit about, um, you're talking about kind of the other side of despair, that hope that we have, you know, you mentioned that, um, one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, mm -hmm. you know? And I was hoping that you might be able to take a moment to help us think about, may I kind of spark our imagination a little bit about what that would look like. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord covering mm. the earth. Like what, what does that mean? Like what would that actually look like you think for that to happen? Right. It's a hope I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, as you know, I believe in the literal future millennial mm -hmm. reign of Christ here on earth. So, not everybody believes that, but I'm part of that camp that does believe that, that Christ will literally and visibly return to this planet and that he will rule and reign with a rod of iron for a thousand years on this planet before then instituting a new heaven yeah. and a new earth forever uh, with a new Jerusalem. So the indications in the Old and New Testament seem to be that during that thousand years, there will be... Um, a reverse of a lot of the uh, impacts of the curse. So there will be uh, peace on the planet as far as natural disasters go. There will be peace among the animal kingdom and mm -hmm. species. There will be abundance and prosperity. There will be uh, trade and interaction with the nations. Uh, we'll be done with war. We'll mm -hmm. take our uh, spears and turn them into farming equipment you know, we'll be done, in other words, with weaponry. Yeah. Maybe that means that we'll use, like, nuclear power for nuclear power yeah. <laughs> rather than nuclear weapons. Yeah. You know, I don't know. But um, hmm. it also indicates that Christ will visibly reign from Jerusalem, that there will be a house of the Lord there, and that the nations will flood to Jerusalem for maybe festivals and feasts hmm. from the old Testament era that are revived. I know some people wow. get grossed out by that, but I would really love to do that. Yeah. I would really love to partake of that portion of scripture. Hmm. Um, uh, there will be, you know, a general righteousness in the land. We, of course, who are Christians, you know, today will be there without any capability of sinning. So Man. we'll be contributing well to Praise culture God. and society. Mm -hmm. We'll be in our glorified state already. Um, so, yeah, just to, like everything that we want to see yes. happen in the world, it will happen. Wow. I feel like when, when you talk about that, I'm like, I want that just to happen right now. Yeah, I just can't definitely. wait, you know, just to kind of wrap this up. If you could just speak a word to those of us who are feeling a little bit impatient waiting for that, just looking around at the world, looking at the different problems we see in the church and all of that. And it's like, man, I want that kingdom to happen now. Yeah. Yeah. How, how do we wait? patiently. Yeah, it's hard. It's challenging, isn't it? And that's part of the reason why I wanted to teach this book for into our church. I talked with a woman last night, you know, who said, thank you so much for these studies on Habakkuk. She said, you know, sometimes I just get so angry, yes. you know, like what they're teaching, what her thing was, what they're teaching kindergartners these days, yeah. you know, and, 
she's right. It's infuriating, you yeah. know, and it, it really wants, makes you want that justice hmm. right now, you know, today. Um, so, you know, my encouragement is to stay in the word because it's there in the word that you get a glimpse over and over again of God's long range perspective and plan. You know, I talked yesterday for a moment in the teaching about an episode in Jeremiah 28, mm -hmm. right? where Jeremiah was prophesying that the Babylonians were going to take Israel captive. And in other places, he said for 70 years. Mm -hmm. And then a false prophet named Hananiah took the yoke that Jeremiah had on his shoulders as a sign or symbol of Babylon's oppression. He took it off of Jeremiah, broke it and said, God's going to break Babylon in two years. And as I was reflecting on that, you know, I was using it as an illustration for, because the people in general believed the false prophet right. and not Jeremiah. I was taking it as an example of sometimes our lack of patience. So we don't want to wait for God's, yeah. you know, ultimate judgment. We want everything to be expedited and quick. But I was thinking about it later and um, it's probably good I didn't make the point then, but I think that my word of counsel is uh, stop listening to the Hananiah messengers. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of um, people who pose as Christian podcasters and messengers uh, that aren't even really qualified to speak for scripture, but who are putting in the ears of Christians, the minds of Christians and anger and yes. angst. And we got to, I, I want to deal with, I want the justice now kind of attitude. And it's like, I get it. I get that desire. But if we don't figure out how to live a devoted, solid, unadulterated, pure uh, Christian life in the midst of a chaotic and backwards and idolatrous culture, uh, we're missing it. So we, that's where the focus to me needs to be at and on. And it just grieves me when someone's listening to the Hananiah kind of message. Yeah. You got to get past that and you got to move forward saying, okay, God's going to deal with all of this ultimately. How shall we then live today? How do we do this? You know, some have said, um, like there's that book, the Benedictine option by Rob Dreyer, you know, mm -hmm. that, and some have, I, I read that book, you know, a lot of people have kind of overly simplified it as if all he's saying is that we should be like monks who go live yeah. in the wilderness, just kind of ride this out until the chaos of secularism is over with. And then we can come back in with the gospel. I don't think that's totally what he was saying, but um, some have really liked that idea. Like that's what we got to do. And there's an element of truth there. Like we got to press into the church. We need totally. to form new communities. We need to recognize that our standard of life and living and convictions and perspective is totally different than the culture and society yeah. that we're living in. And we are kind of well past the time of expecting that our morality is going to be the cultural norm. Mm -hmm. um, so we do have to make that push, but we also have to figure out how to 
interact with society as well as devoted believers. It's challenging, it's hard, but it's really not helped any through anger. So we need to uh, continue to, to grow. I talked to one brother recently who was agitated about, I don't know, something something some corporation did or something that was just you know totally out of step with yeah. the Bible. And uh, I just made the comment to him. I said, hey, you know, I don't agree with it, but they are living out their worldview. Yes. And that just kind of like helped him a little bit because hmm. he was like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to live out my worldview. Yep. They're living out their beliefs. And that's the logical next step. So we've got to figure out how to live out ours as a Christian uh, minority. We pray that today's discussion has blessed you. For more information and to take the discussion further, you can visit nateholdridge.com for additional articles and content. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and share so we can continue to reach people and make Jesus famous in our lives and the lives around us. Until next time, God bless.